Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Sunday night. This is the 23rd. If anybody's putting dates anymore. Okay, we're still in, we're still talking about Genesis, we're talking about Noah. Um, when we got to a stopping place last week, we, uh, we were just about to really start into Noah's story. We've kind of done the background and the begats and, you know, all that, and we were just getting ready to start into chapter 6. So flip to chapter 6, Genesis, and we'll just read up through verse 7. And then we'll go back and kind of chew it up a little bit. Oh, Nancy's not here. No, she's... I just... Look at that. Okay. She seemed to enjoy it. I was so glad to have her back last week. It was wonderful. God love her. Okay. Start with verse 1. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth... And daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took of them wives, of all of which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old and of renown. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made men on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast, and creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repents me that I have made them. Okay. Looking at the setting here. um, At this point in time, this is really almost 1,500 years of history uh, that's already gone by uh, when Noah pops up. Um, From the time that Adam was created. Not, Not quite 1,500, but close. And in that time, all of Cain's people were multiplying like crazy, his sons and their sons' sons. And, and Seth's line was the same way. Seth had lots of kids. And um, while in the begats, we only follow Seth's line through um, Enoch and Methuselah and Lamech, there were lots of other kids and lots of other family members. So... Um, we were talking about last week, no telling how many millions of people were in the earth by then. Because, I mean, if you just think about it, Israel, Jacob, took 70 people into, Israel, into Egypt. 430 years later, when he came out, just his family was 3 million plus. So you can imagine how many million people are in the earth in a thousand years of history. But the thing that just boggles my mind always is, 
except for the line of Seth that came through Enoch, um, every other every other family member, every other line, every other person fell away from the Lord. Now, how does that happen? You know, how does that happen? I mean, it, only eight people got on the ark. I mean, that was it. And um, so it takes your breath away, you know, when you start to think about that. Um, the issue here was the nature of men that were beginning to be conceived. Um, there's an issue with the sons of God and um, especially Christian authors, well, Jewish authors too, uh, but not so many Jewish because they recognize like the story of Job where God clearly defines the sons of God as angels. But a lot of the Christian authors, I mean, uh, uh, commentators, want to say, well, you know, that's not really talking about angels. Um, um, but maybe descendants of Cain or that was one of the most common ones I heard. Mm -hmm. But not that they were literally angels that left their first estate. And I think last week we read those scriptures where clearly in Peter and in Jude, he spoke about the angels that left their first estate and how at the time of the flood, <clears throat> God dealt with those angels and locked them up in the lower regions of hell to wait a judgment so that they would never do what they did again. But the thing that <clears throat> gets me is, is it's clearly stated in verse 2, sons of God and daughters of men. And there is a, a, a separation between the two, the sons of God and the daughters of men. When Jesus called himself the son of man, he was speaking to his material flesh body and his material flesh um, self. But when he was speaking about being the son of God, he was speaking about that spirit being, you know, that, that sat at the right hand of the father. So if Jesus was making that kind of delineation, then God purposefully told Moses to write it down this way. So, you know, we just kind of follow rule one. If there's no um, grounds for disputing something factually with other scripture, um, in fact, the scriptures that we read actually support what's said here, then you have to take it at face value, even if it sounds bizarre. But we know that angels can take on flesh yeah. because, my goodness, you talk about the angels that came with Jesus and sat with Abraham and discussed yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah and then they went in and laid hold of Lot and dragged him out of there. Mm -hmm. I mean, those were men. And um, then you have Daniel in that vision when... Um, 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 when the angel appeared to him and Daniel was so weak he fell over on his face. Well, the angel was material enough to be able to pick him up and set him up right and handle him like a man. So angels can take on that flesh um, quality. So whatever they did, they mated with these women and um, there was a, a breed of people that were born here that... Um, um, that were violent and horrible. Um, one of the Targum authors did say that they were apostate angels that fell from heaven. So um, it was Jonathan 
um, that said that. So at least one Targum uh, author said that, and a couple of other Jewish writers, uh, Ben Uziel and I um, can't remember the other one, who said that, yes, it could have been fallen angels. Um, but the Christian authors go, well, angels don't have any sex. They don't have any desire for sex. Couldn't have been that. They had to be, you know, and I'm thinking, that that's just human rationale. So what do you do with Second Peter and Jude 3? You know, what do you do with those uh, scriptures if, if it couldn't happen? Then who are those angels locked in the pit there? So to me, you know, just in my rational mind, I say, take it as it is at face value. And um, um, just understand that God is talking about a superhuman class of people. Now this sons of God, uh, you know, perhaps some people get this confused with the New Testament after Jesus offered salvation. Right. Because then we can be the sons, sons and daughters of, of God, of right? God, and That's we can right. Be ch- uh, the heirs, <coughs> children of God, right? Children, the heirs of God, co-heirs. You're right. And I think maybe some people get Are that they, confused between yeah. the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New. I think they do, and I think a lot of the modern uh, Christian uh, commentators do that. But we were not sons you know. of God no. before Jesus. No. And um, so, I, as, as far as I'm concerned. God delineated this on purpose through Moses. So why would we, you know, who are we to pick at that? Do you have, uh, I did not write down those two references, Second Peter. Oh, Second Peter. Um, four. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You got them, Second Peter. I have Second Peter 2. 2, 4. Uh-huh. 2 and 4. 4 through four. 6, yeah. And then Jude. Jude verses 3 through 21. Okay. Yeah, specifically verses mm-hmm. five and six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Second Peter, what Second Peter chapter two, verse four to six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're just gonna take that at face value, you know. That that's what happened because it bred a group of men that were um, that defied description, really. They were um, Oh, we'll come back to that. Didn't Look, they say they were like about 15 feet tall? I've read some things that said like they were literally giants that, in the and, land. Uh, Goliath was one. Uh, yeah, that his... 15, that he was a giant. Yeah. And Now, they did say there were giants in the earth before the angels came in and after. But the ones after had like superhuman strength and, and extra natural evil in them, you know. But then when you read about angels and demons and their as created creatures, yeah. a lot of them they say, well, they can be all varying sizes, mm. but a lot of them are the fifteen feet. Yeah. So if they're fallen Yeah. A lot and of they very well could have been to that physical description. Yeah. And that's exactly right. It's well and yeah, and I read a lot about that and you're right. They you know, they they describe that and um so yeah, you it's hard to it's hard to fathom that kind of size. He made so many size. classifications of yeah. angels. That, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, hard to you say. You can't put them in any one category yeah. or box. But, you can't. But it seems yeah. like the, the general concept from several books that mm-hmm. I've read would be, would be that. Eight, mm-hmm. the, the most common form would fall into that. Yeah, that, that superhuman <laughs> strength. Yeah. And, um, well, we might as well, let me just give you the words here to describe them. Um, gigantic, 
powerful warriors, tyrants and oppressive, fearful with superhuman strength and power. So um, that's the word kibor, which is mighty men. They weren't mighty in the sense of just, you know, like superheroes, but supernatural warriors. And they had a very evil, oppressive uh, power, and they were gigantic gigantic men. Gill says it like this, men of unimaginable wickedness. And that phrase just fit to me. Unimaginable wickedness. You and I can't even conceive of the evil that was in the minds of those created beings. Those Mm -hmm. beings that were of mixed breed. But it's interesting just speaking about, you know, Tina's talking about the writings about these creatures because almost every culture has stories about Noah and the flood um, for a reason because we all came from Noah. But um, one of the really interesting ones that I never really thought about was um, talking about you know non-believers, the idol worshippers who uh, who were writing about this superhuman strain of warriors who fought against men and gods. Um, they were they were um, unimaginably gigantic, and they were called the Titans. Mm. And um, uh, one of the authors that I uh, was reading said that quite possibly refers to the Nephilim, the, these gigantic war type figures, and it followed the lore, you know, all the way through, uh, all the way through all the ages until it got to the place where they were described as the Titans. Which I thought was just kind of interesting, but that's interesting that football teams would name themselves. Yeah, that would kind of put a curse on themselves. You would think, wouldn't you? All they saw is mighty warriors, and they don't realize, yeah, what that is. Mm. Just saying, it's football hey, Sunday. That's it. Football Sunday is right. And you're here, and it's very sweet of you because I know the Steelers just started playing. So we'll talk fast and get the heck out of Dodge here. But um, in verse 3, this is such a a sweet picture of God. So here we have these huge, fierce warriors that are conquering and destroying and warring with everybody and these giant men. And God is looking down on this in verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with men. For that he also is flesh, and yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. I've heard that taught, that it meant that I will allow men to live to be a hundred and twenty. But what that literally means is, I'm going to give them a hundred and twenty years to straighten up their act. If they don't, if they don't get it in a hundred and twenty years, it's over. And um, so he says, my spirit will not always strive with men. The picture there is kind of cool, and, and I just wanted to read you some of the writings because um, I love the way it looks. It is the sense of the word, in the, in the sense of the word strive, is as a sword in a scabbard. It will not always abide there, but will be unsheathed and drawn out. Man will not always live since he is corrupted and given to carnal lust. So in that sense, you almost get the picture of God's holding on to the sword and he goes, 120 years and then the sword is strong. It's almost like dad saying, don't make me come up there because there is going to be him in five minutes and if you're not straightened out, I'm coming. Mm-hmm. You know, so you get that sense 
And um, I can remember those days when I go, do I go down the hall now and smack them or do I wait, you know, five more minutes see if they can get it together? So I kind of see that picture. Um, that was um, Ibn Ezra, and this is Jarky. My spirit will not always contend within myself. There will not always be contention in me concerning man, whether I will destroy him or have mercy on him. I'm at a point to punish him since he is wholly carnal. And I like that picture too. This is God saying, do I go after him? Don't I go after him? I love this man and yet he's totally carnal. I created this thing. Am I going to destroy it all? I can't. You know, I could imagine that kind of anguish in his heart. Almost like the anguish of a father. And then the picture, <clears throat> the next picture is like a lawyer. And this was from the Targum. And actually he agrees with 1 Peter. Let's go to 1 Peter 3 real quick and read it. 1 Peter 3. Start with verse 12. And we'll just read to the end. <clears throat> For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, Happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks your reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also has once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now that doesn't mean he went down and preached to those in hell. He went down and proclaimed to them in hell what he had done so that they know that the judgment of God is just. He didn't, he didn't give anybody in the lower regions of hell an opportunity to come out. The only ones that came out were the ones in Abraham's bosom and they were already waiting on Messiah. Nobody else got out. So he wasn't going down to preach to save them. He went down to declare what he had done so they know that God's judgment is perfect. Okay, verse 20. Okay, um... He also went and preached to the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedience when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ." who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So Peter is talking about there's no excuse for these demonic beings. There's no excuse for the flesh that was on the earth. 
Because they had, first of all, they had Noah preaching. But they also came from the line of Seth. Where it was taught generation to generation. All the way down the line through Seth. To Enoch who was so close to God he was raptured. They had examples. So they were without any excuse. So God now is <clears throat> litigating this point. And he's arguing that they didn't have, you know, that they had heard this word by preaching and by, you know, by providence, whatever happens, by their own consciences, which is what Romans 1 says, we all know. And so um, Jonathan says this, The Spirit of God, which has been litigating and reasoning the point, <clears throat> as men do in a court of judicature, um, as the word signifies, with these men, he's been reasoning about these men in court at the bar of their own consciences, by one providence or by minister or or minister or another, particularly by Noah, a preacher of righteousness in vain and to no purpose. Therefore, he determines to proceed no longer in this way, but pass and execute the sentence of condemnation on them. So, on the one hand, you see him. I, I sort of did it this in my mind. I split it because the Holy Spirit is a, the lawyer. He's the one that argues our case, that presents things before God. So it's like the Holy Spirit presenting the case before the living God, who is God himself anyway, and God kind of arguing within himself to the point that he understands they had preaching, they had examples, they had their own consciences that they were born with because he gave them that conscience. And nothing has fazed them. Therefore, the sentence is just and must be carried out. So I, I like all three different interpretations of the same thing. Um, so Noah preached. He preached righteousness for 110 years as he built that ark. Probably longer than that. But um, the way the timeline falls, um, God says, I'm going to give them 120 years. But from the time God spoke to Noah until the boat was finished was 110 years. So I kind of take it that the, the trial lasted 10 years. Basically, God was arguing within himself over what to do. And then he says, I'm going to give him until the 120th year. And after that, it's over. And so he made up his mind. And at 110 years, he spoke to Noah. And he said, build the boat because the flood's coming. But anybody that wants to get on the boat could. That's the whole point that makes you sick. Anybody that wanted to get on that boat could have. And they had 110 years to do it. Because Moses, I mean, because Noah was preaching it like, oh, get out. Um, <clears throat> it's just hard to picture that, you know. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Go to Second Peter again. <clears throat> Back to Second Peter. It's funny how these little books at the back, at the very back, are the ones that confirm what what's going on in the front. Told at the end, the end is told from the beginning, right? Okay, Second Peter, verse one. Second Peter. Mm-hmm. Second Peter, verse one. Mm -hmm. Chapter. Oh, chapter one. I'm sorry. Second Peter. Chapter 1, start with verse 20. Oh my gosh, sorry about that. Okay. Okay. Um, 
Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now there's Noah, a holy man moved by the Holy Ghost, spoke what God told him to speak. And um, Moses recorded it in the scripture just as, you know, being a preacher of God. But um, um, let's just keep reading. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there also will be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. <clears throat> you can almost see that was going on in Noah's day. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, and their damnation slumbers not. If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. And deliver just lot, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked. For the righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day, and their unlawful deeds. But the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, trials and troubles, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So Peter is speaking of the same thing. He said, you know, um, the preaching went on. The people had a choice. They didn't want to listen. They were scoffers. They were hard-hearted. And um, they were nephilim. They were violent. Every imagination that they had was evil and violent. And um, like the Titans. So um, at that point... The debate is over. God's debate is over. Back to Genesis 6. This is the sweetest um, picture of God in um, verse 6 and verse 7. The word repent there, this is not the, the um, Greek word, change the way you think, okay? This is the Hebrew word, repent. And um, it is Naham is, is the word for repent here. But this picture is so beautiful. Um, verse 6 and 7. And it repented the Lord that he had made men on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. That word repent... Is so beautiful, Naham. And it literally means to breathe a heavy sigh, um, like reflexively in regret. So it's like God went, yeah. <sighs> and his mind was settled. Mm. And there was that picture. It grieved him at his heart, pained him and saddened him. But he breathed that heavy sigh, that reflexive sigh of regret, and settled his thinking. 
And that picture of breathing and settling his mind. Just, in that a sweet picture? I mean, it just devastated him to do that. Because he is love and he is good. How do you do that? But we have to, you know, we have to keep remembering that God is, is not evil in any way. But he's a master surgeon. And this was master surgery needed. The entire world was being consumed by cancer. And the cancer was evil. Evil beyond imagination. And God needed to remove the cancer from creation or all of it would have been destroyed. Sooner or later it would have all been eaten up. All destroyed. And, and so it was massive cancer surgery. He had to wipe out all flesh on the earth because it had all been corrupted and he saved the transplant he saved eight people at the transplant and a pair of every type of animal to transplant back into his creation to start again but it was it was not a thing of anger you know sometimes you think I'm just going to wipe the earth out because everybody's evil here just wipe them out if they get on the boat fine if they don't they're just gone but God was so devastated at that decision he wrestled with it and wrestled with it and wrestled with it and finally he just heaved that sigh and settled his mind it has to be done but he gave them 120 years. 120 years. Their minds. Yep. And so it wasn't just Noah's preaching, but this ark in itself was a message. The ark in itself was a, a message to the people. You know, that, that a devastation is coming. Get ready. If you want on the boat, I'll tell you how to get on the boat. But the devastation is coming. Get ready. So he had the, the, the actions of Noah and his family, even all the way back to Enoch, who was the first one, you know, translated, the first one raptured, um, through Methuselah, through Lamech, all godly men, through Noah. So over the years, there was always that one strain of faithful men that walked with God. And so they had that, just the, the lifestyle of those people, they had that ark that was being built, which you know the gossip took that everywhere. I mean, everybody must have been talking about it. How fast does gossip travel? Oh my gosh. So it must have been all over the earth in 120 years what was going on at Noah's house. And he was the laughing mm -hmm. stock. The laughing stock. Exactly right. And, um, and he preached. And um, that's all there was. You know, people had... Time to think about it. Go to 1 Timothy. I mean, 2 Timothy. This is what it makes me think of. Because you said it exactly right, Lee. He was the laughing stock. 2 Timothy 3. In Matthew 24, 37, it says, It will be as in the days of Noah. And so here's the perfect description of the days of Noah. Okay. This know also, this is verse 1, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of our own selves, 
covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, or that means untrustworthy, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And verse 7 says, ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And um, so if you tie that together with the fact that in, in Matthew he says, it's going to be as in the days of Noah. And then Timothy says, well, Paul says to Timothy, in the very last days, this is what it's going to look like. And there it is. Every form of evil that could happen right there. And the seed of every form of evil right there. So then you think, where is God in his deliberations? You know, where is God in his deliberations? You and I are already on the ark because we're born again. We're in Christ Jesus. He is our ark. And he's in us. But um, where are they in their deliberations? Uh, where is God and, you know, is, this, is the sword still sheathed or, you know, how close are we to this final worldwide universal judgment? Um, <laughs> hard to know, isn't it? Can I, can I just read the uh, New Living Testament? Oh, please. They, you know, they make things so they do. updated. Um, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with proud and pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Wow. They are, will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are, kind, they are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. It's just sickening. I mean, it really But didn't that name sometimes. it? I mean, it's yeah, just no. sickening. And, and we're there. Uh -huh. We are there right now. Mm. So, yeah. It sounds just like any newspaper you pick up. It sounds like any news broadcast, anything you hear anymore. It just—it's exactly like that. And um, can I just say that this this morning, being here for so long at all three services and mixing around, I heard the unforgiveness and the judgment and the, and I was like, oh, wow, yeah, right here. Mm-hmm. Having a form of godliness, uh -huh. but denying right the power of their ear. Isn't that awful? Yes. And, heartbreaking. And, yeah. Heartbreaking. And then the other, ever learning and never coming to the truth. Mm -hmm. And they're right here. Yeah. It just breaks your heart, doesn't it? Yeah. So, you, you know, I, mean, I just wrote that down. I said, where, are, where is God in his deliberations and his judgment? You know, that seven years of destruction that's coming on the earth. Of course, God's going to do the same thing in the earth that he did with Noah. He's going to save people out of that seven years 
Um, the Jewish people who have been faithfully looking for Messiah, who managed to live that first three and a half years, he's going to take them out of Jerusalem. Probably, I mean, uh, most, I mean, most um, prophets, modern day people who study prophecy and the prophets think that it's probably going to be Petra that they take them to. But the Jewish people will be saved and they're going to be Christians who were born again after Antichrist comes and some of them will be saved out of it so that there will be human seed planted back in the earth because Jesus is going to rule and reign here for a thousand years. So there will be another multiplication of flesh men in the earth before God finally recreates everything and, you know, and... and uh, uh, makes it his. Now, you and I, of course, will be will be a spirit being, um, probably light beings that can either materialize, be material or immaterial, because that's what Jesus is. He's a light being, but he could walk through a door, yeah. but he still could eat fish and break bread with his disciples. So, we'll have that kind of a body. That's cool. But I know, isn't that the coolest thing ever? I'm yeah, me too. But. Um, there will just be regular human beings on the earth. And in Isaiah 65, I think, he says, if somebody dies at the age of 100, mm. then, then people are going to say sin was at their door because uh, the people are going to live like they did in the days of Noah. Hundreds of years, you know, because um, sin is, is going to be, Satan is going to be bound for those years. Um, the only sin that's going to occur is going to come out of the flesh of man. You know, out of fallen men, but they won't be tempted by the tempter. So there will be flesh coming out of that too, just like in the days of Noah. Eight people, there's going to be seed to go back into God's creation while Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years. So, yeah, Noah wasn't a perfect man. I mean, he had Adam's fallen nature. Um, but he, like us, is under grace. He is not under the law. So God didn't measure his shortcomings by the law, but he measured his shortcomings in terms of Jesus who was crucified from the foundations of the world. So Noah was um, like Abraham, a man of faith. And that faith was counted to him as righteousness. Um, so go back to, to Genesis 6 now. Okay, um, starting with verse 9, or verse 8, I'm sorry. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. That's the same word as in verse 24 in chapter 5 where Enoch walked with God. It's the very same Hebrew word. And it literally means conversed with continually, was in the presence of, um, had an intimate relationship with, um, and went forward with God. So um, Noah knew God. Therefore, Noah understood when God spoke to him. You recognize the voice. You know, you don't recognize the voice if you don't spend time with the speaker. And um, 
Noah recognized the voice. So let's just keep reading. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth also was corrupted before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And the Lord looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make an ark of gopher wood. Room shall you make in the ark, and you shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which you shall make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shall you make to the ark, and in a cubit you shall finish it above. And the door of the ark shall you set in the side thereof with lower second and third stories. So it's at least three stories high. Shall you make it? And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with you I'll establish my covenant, and you will come into the ark, you and your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Um, so God just speaks everything to Noah, lays it all out there for him. Well, let's just finish it up. It's all good. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shall you bring into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, of cattle after their kind, of creeping thing, of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto you to keep them alive. And you will take unto you all the food um, that is eaten, and you shall gather it to you, and it shall be for food for you and for them. And thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Um, the thing that always pops into my mind when I read that is James. Faith without corresponding works is dead. So he, he had more than head knowledge that God existed. He believed God who was, was who he was. And in response to that relationship he had with God, he did what he was told to do. Now that would be really hard to... I mean, I'd have to talk about it with him a little bit. You know, are you sure you want to do this? But he was a just man, meaning he gave to all their due. He was fair. He was perfect doesn't mean that he was a perfect man, but he was mature, full of integrity, and he was sound and upright. And he walked with God. And those are the things that God loved. So he told him exactly what he needed to do. You know, what he, he had to do. And uh, <clears throat> and so Noah spent roughly the next 110 years building that ark. I, I don't know how many questions I would have had before I got it done. Are you sure I heard this right? Because I'm not really sure that this is looking really big, Lord. I'm not sure that it's supposed to be. But this is it. The measurements are unreal. Well, let me read what he preached. This is from the Targum. This message is what supposedly what Noah preached. Return from your evil ways and works, lest the waters of the flood come upon you and cut off all the seed of the children of men. Mm. Pretty well said. Mm. That's the speech that um, the Targum writers give. But um, he followed the exact design. Now, a, a cubit is roughly 21 inches. It's supposed to be like from your wrist to your elbow. And if you use that 21-inch mark, 
the uh, the boat would have been 450 feet long. That's a football field and a half long. Mm -hmm. Four football fields. Hmm. Four football. 100 yeah. feet? No, 100 yards is oh, the football oh, field. Oh, oh, okay. So it would yeah. be 300 plus 150. So that would be a football field and a half. Okay. But still gigantic. I mean, can you fathom that? 75 feet wide and 45 feet tall. That would have been the description. Now around the top of the ark there were windows. Um, not really sure um, how big they were but they were a cubit from the top. So down about 21 inches from the top and these windows went around. And then there was some kind of an eave or a flat that covered these windows and they were absolutely covered up for, for months. Noah couldn't look out at all for months and months and months. And then only one door. And we don't know the size of it, but we know that it was big enough that when the door was laid down on its side, there were two floors under it. There was a, a, a second and a third floor underneath the door. So the door had to be tremendous. Um, if it would lay down so that Adam could walk up the door... Um, it had to be a tremendous door. It was so big that Noah couldn't close it. He had no way of closing that door. But but think about how big it would be. I want to go to Kentucky and see that Did model. Did you see the one that they started over in Cumberland? No. Yeah, there was um, there was a ministry. Oh, we're talking 20, 30 years ago. Uh -huh. That started to build an ark. In, in, and I think the shell of it is, I mean, I think it's still a building now. But, it, yeah, I watched that be built, and it was huge. It's just amazing. You, you know, it's hard yeah. to fathom. My brother and his wife just got back. I said, it just takes your breath away. Mm -hmm. Just takes your breath away, the size of that boat. And here's Noah. I mean, it's not like he had a crew of 500 people working on it. You know, he didn't have masons and metal workers and all that. It was he and his sons, probably Lamech and, and Methuselah, because they were there. They wouldn't have been just sitting around watching Noah do that, you know. Um, Lamech lived until five years before the flood, and Methuselah died right when the flood happened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there might have been a little bit of help, but not much. Not much. And um, so here's Noah, this little man, all on his own, building this ark. Um, and the ark's kind of cool. I mean, you know, if you look at the parallels between the ark and I mean the ark typing is kind of cool. We're going to quit here in a minute. You okay? Yeah, I just have to put some drops in my eyes. Okay. I understand. Um, so like the, the flood itself is a type of baptism, water baptism. And we just read that in Peter that you know that the baptism of, of us in the water is like Noah's baptism in the flood. But, but if you look at it, Noah was a man who was building rooms for all the animals and for his family. Jesus said, I'm going and build a room for you, you know, that you can be with me. And um, there was one door that was closed by God. And Jesus says, I am the one who opens and no one closes and closes and no one opens. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm the door. Yeah. You can't get to the Father if you come by me. Jesus is the door. Then Noah called, I mean, God called Noah into the ark. Jesus called us to himself. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. 
And then Noah was raised above the flood as a covenant people. And of course, as a covenant people, we'll be raised above the flood. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it is amazing all the typology that's there. Um, and then one more thing, and we're going to quit, but um, I'd like to just get this much covered. Um, God says, now you're going to take in two of every living thing, of all flesh. Two, 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 two. And um, he translates that two as a part of the whole. Specifically, one male from a part of the whole and one female from a part of the whole in each um, species, right? Not kind in sense of, you know, like there are 5,000 different kinds of spiders, but all spiders are arachnids. So when God was doing this, it was actually goes all the way back to the days of Adam. When God created the first two animals and brought them to Adam and he would name them. And the word is bow, meaning brought to him. God says, I'm going to bring to you two of each animal. Two of each species. And it, they'll be put onto the ark. So it was the same motion. God picked the two that would go into the ark. More than likely, they were with perfect DNA, perfect DNA chains, so that you had the perfect uh, order of all the DNA, just like in Adam and Eve. Um, and you remember those silly little bi- the silly biology charts, you know, where you had the, the black puppy and the white puppy, and you put them together and you get two black dogs and two white dogs, but then you get a whole lot of spotted puppies. Well, that's basically what happens. From the species, varieties develop because of the order of the DNA. But, but cats are still cats. So it doesn't matter what two cats got on board. A feline male and a feline female got on board. An arachnid male and arachnid female got on board. You know, those were the, those were the species that got on board. And then when they got off and began to multiply, the varieties appeared. And they appeared out of just general, uh, you know, multiplication. Just like with us. Everyone's different because of the, of the way we multiply. So, and it all has to do with combinations of DNA. And um, it's infinite. There's no end to it. So it wasn't like Noah had to have five billion places on the ark to put animals, but he did have to have uh, different species, you know, places for different species. And then from there, the species would multiply again, just like they did in Adam's day. Um, so when you, you know, when you're a kid and you think, how did he go out and catch all those animals? You know, and, and it takes all the sting out, of, all the funny out of the joke about why did he bother to catch mosquitoes, mm-hmm. you know, because... It, whatever that insect was, whatever that quality of insect was, that's what got on there. The earth fell and then these nasty little beasts, because it was a fallen world, these nasty little beasts came out of the generations of the DNA. But it, it, you know, it wasn't that he caught two mosquitoes and put them on there. You know. So, so yeah. did you ever consider the fish? Yes, and isn't it interesting? No fish were brought on board and kept in but, any way. But did they serve as food? They very well could have. Or those, that, mm-hmm. because the, the earth was completely void yeah. and destroyed. So yeah. 
you know. It, there had to be some fish. I don't know about, you know, when the salt entered the oceans, whether, you know, the water was all um, pure or not, but the fish were not a part of it. Mm -hmm. They were not a part of it. And, uh, yes, I did notice that. And they're obviously missing. So I think that would make perfect sense that they could use the fish as food, you know, when they got off the boat. It says up here you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Right. Did so, you see a picture of where the two, there's two oceans, and I forget which two they are, meet, mm -mm. and they photographed it? And there are two oceans that have distinctly different chemical properties. Wow. And they meet, and the line is very wavy and uh -huh. distinct, but they never join. Wow. That's weird, isn't I'll have it? I'd to find that and send it Yeah, to I'd you. love to see that. They're opposing odors? Opposing mm -hmm. odors? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Who knows about that? Um, so, okay, so God's job was to bring those animals to Noah. Noah's job was to build the ark, the safe sanctuary, fill it with enough food for every animal and human to last through the flood. And to me, you're going, how much food is that? You know, how did he know? I'm sure God told him, this is how much you need of everything. But it's not told to us. How do you know how much you're going to need? You know. Um, and then his, the rest of his job was to keep everything alive. That was what he was called to do. That was his job. Preach up until then, then get on the boat. And shovel. Yep, and then let me shut the door. Yeah. No, I said shovel. Yes, and shovel. <laughs> well, you know what? They couldn't open doors or windows, and don't you wonder about that? <laughs> well, in verse 22, it says Noah did everything just as God commanded. Mm -hmm. So God gave him the details. Told him exactly what Noah to do. did it exactly like he was told. So much of this, so much of that. And it worked out perfectly. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing, isn't it, <coughs> how that went. But yeah, that's that was his job. So, okay, we're just about to get ready to get on the boat here. And we'll pick that up you next don't week. I think those windows could be open for fresh air. You would think, wouldn't you? Yes. But, but it's very clear God says he was not to open those windows until he told them to. And there's even a day and a, mo a month and a date. I mean, there is a date when that had to happen. Isn't that amazing? But I'm, I'm like you. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. How would that be to have the door sealed and you couldn't open the windows for over Maybe a year? Maybe that's what the third floor down was. More than a year. <laughs> Maybe that was it. Yeah, fill up the bottom. Well, he told them what to do in the wilderness, you know. Yeah. He gave them some kind of poop. Hopefully. Oh, a poop plan. Yeah. There you go. A poop plan. I'm telling you. Oh, my gosh. Let me just pray for you real quick. Oh, my gosh. Father, I'm just speaking your blessings over us all tonight. Speaking the blessings not over us, but our kids, our kids' kids, our animals, Lord, because they are blessed as well. And, Father, we just speak that we're blessed in our going out and blessed in our coming in and blessed in our laying down and blessed in our rising up and blessed in the city and blessed in the country, Lord. And um, you have prospered us in the things we set our hands to. You have more than uh, met our... 
uh, needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus and we receive that blessing as well Lord and I just ask now that you use us to be a blessing use us to be that testimony and when people look at us I just pray that you would empty us of ourselves and that they just see Jesus um, and we just ask this in your name Lord and, and we just thank you for the answers Amen. Amen Okay round two name something that's not boring a Laundry? Ooh a book club Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.